Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Card Kingdom. With fast shipping, the best card sleeves, deck boxes, binders, and all the modern, legacy, and commander staples you could ever want, Card Kingdom is there with the hookup. If you'd like to support the show, just use our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com KTM. Order your Guilds of Ravnica singles and sealed product now. You know you want that sweet Assassin's Trophy action. Great removal is, well, great. Thank you for supporting the show when you shop at cardkingdom.com KTM. Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. Tune into their stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames for daily legacy action. I had the honor of being invited to Paragon City Games to film a vlog about their Heroes League Invitational Qualifier series. The players there love competitive magic. The store is super clean, open, friendly, and a great place to play magic. Their staff is super friendly and they have an amazing streaming setup to broadcast live feature matches. Talking about it doesn't do it justice, you'll have to go see the vlogs I made to know what I'm talking about. Just go to facebook.com slash paragoncitygames and click on videos. I made one each on standard, modern, and legacy. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. The moderator of moderators, the mod father, the god mod, the one who wields the sword, Ian Dixon joins us to talk all about stream chat moderation. Ian has been moderating online communities since early on, when Twitch was just in TV, and even before that when stuff was streamed on Ustream with IRC chats. Ian established himself early on and was invited to moderate for Loading Ready Run. One gig led to another, and after a decade of timing people out, Ian has now created an entire network of moderators sharing and learning from each other. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ian Dixon. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Today we are here with a very special, the mod father, the banhammer wielderer, Ian Dixon. Ian, how's it going? Oh, it's not going too bad. Can't really complain. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today on Kitchen Table Magic. You are a very special and also a very integral part of the Magic community. Well, thanks. Yeah, I. it's kind of weird. I don't think of it as being like integral, but at the same time it is. It's just one of those, I'm in the background, but it's an important background, I guess. And for the listening audience, if you don't know, Ian Dixon has a very special place. He mods a lot of Twitch chats and he helps mod how the community communicates with each other on Twitch streams. And Twitch streams is a very important part of any gaming community because, you know, we love to broadcast, we love to play, we love to hang out with each other. And sometimes the Twitch chat can get a little bit toxic, I guess you could say. I'm being nice about it. And Ian is there behind the scenes to make sure everything doesn't fall off the rails. Right, Ian? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, toxic at times can definitely be a decent descriptor. Uh, fortunately, <laughs> <Another> understatement. <laughs> I, I will say this, though. Fortunately, we are nowhere near as bad as certain other communities out there that have almost written it off is just like, we, we can't even handle this kind of thing like that. I know it's a very tricky job. It's tricky because it's an art and a science. You know, you kind of have to balance things, but we're going to talk all about that in a little bit. But first, just like everything, we start from the beginning. Ian, where did you grow up and how did you find magic? 
So I grew up around, I've been, I should say, generally from the Philadelphia area. Grew up in Pennsylvania for a little while, lived in New Jersey for a little while as well. And it was in New Jersey when I was in middle school that a bunch of buddies of mine in computer class in, I think it was like fifth or sixth grade. So we're talking like, oh boy, 97, 98-ish. It was Tempest Block, so the Wrath Cycle. And I got into Magic right around that time, played for two or three blocks. Then little did I know that I lived in a basically a military town. Uh, There was a Fort Dix was right nearby. And it's kind of funny that, yeah, Fort Dix, my username, last name, (laughs) all very similar. But yeah, Fort Fort Dix uh, and Air Force, McGuire Air Force Base right there. So a bunch of my friends were actually, their parents were Air Force and it was time for them to move. So when they moved away, I just like was like, oh, all my friends who play are gone. And I'll just stick this in a closet. And you know, this typical story, you have your cards in a closet for like 14, 15 years. Uh, I came back right around the end of, right around the end of the limited time for M14. So right before Theros was coming, like it was the spool up for Theros, all the uh, previous season was starting and kind of like that. And Loading Ready Run, through my various connections with them, actually we'll get into them as well, moderating wise, because uh, so anyway, they got into magic a few years before and I kind of resisted the urge and resisted the pull of getting back in. Even when I was going through army training, a couple of my roommates actually played very heavily, like during like Zen, like 08 or whatever like that. So I'd see like boxes of World Awake and he'd be just like ripping through and trying, I guess, trying to find Jace back in the day. I didn't, had no idea what he was doing or in terms of ripping packs. But so I got back around Theros block and slowly worked my way back into it. Did like, oh, I'm going to get in the standard. I'm going to get in the modern. Then I'm going to get in the legacy. And I did it completely backwards. <laughs> you got to get in the legacy first and then work your way down because duels were cheap back then. And by cheap, I mean like $100 and not 300 But yeah. Yeah, so I uh, basically played back. I didn't even play standard or whatever the heck, like type two. I don't even know. I forget the types. I didn't even play that. I just played, you know, good old kitchen table magic with my friends. Like my my favorite jank back then was Spellbook. So you had no no hand size or no limit to your hand size. Multani Marrow Sorcerer, the original one who looked at power and toughness based off of cards in your hand. And I would use Baron's Codex, which you would put an, a page counter on it. And then you tap four, sack it, and draw cards equal number of page counters. It was just a go wide board stall until you could just make Multani huge and just start swinging with them. It was janky and I loved it. Early players, whenever you see those kinds of decks, they're just like, oh my gosh, this card is such a build around me card. And you do all of these things to try to like create that kind of a board state, create that kind of a thing. But then now, like many years later, when you like understand competitive play, you're like, yeah, that's not very efficient. Like, what was I doing? <laughs> no, but I know exactly what I was doing back then. It was the fact that I only had a couple cards from, you know, the pre-constructed decks they would have. The one I built it around was actually the green-white one, the Crusher deck from Urza's Legacy. I think I still have that deck box still around somewhere. But yeah, it was built around like some of those pre-constructed decks where I just rip cards out of there and pull in there. Looking back, you're like, oof, man, if I could only tell young me what I know now, but... That's, of course, you know, how we all are with that. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. I started playing around Tempest and Urza's Block as well. So some of those old cards and old sets really hold like a very special place in my heart. And magic, you know, magic design from an R&D standpoint, the game has evolved tremendously. Back in the day, what uh, magic R&D focused on is very different than what they focus on today. You don't get cards like Scarab God. You don't get, you don't get like, you get much more counter spells. You don't, you don't get stuff like, you know, what we see today. Well, yeah, I know my, I, I still remember the very first rare that i opened it was at so one of my friends had a birthday party and in the little like party pack gifts we had because we all played we got a booster pack and i believe it was exodus 
I think. Might have been strong. No, it was Exodus because actually the rare thing. My first rare I ever opened was Workhorse, which I believe it's six mana artifact creature. Workhorse comes into play with four plus one plus one counters on it. It is a zero zero. And you remove a counter from Workhorse, add one colorless mana to your mana pool, play this ability as a mana source. <laughs> it wasn't great, <laughs> but it was the first rare that I ever opened. It's got great Dieter Lizzie art on it, but that's the art definitely drew me in. But yeah, it was just like a, oh, okay. Let's let's play with this one, and I never actually did. <laughs> That's really cool. So right around, I guess M fourteen and Theros. Uh, right during that time, you got back into Magic. But how did you get into modding, or how did you get into Twitch modding? Okay, so I mentioned Loading Ready Run. They got me back into Magic. Well, we'll have to reverse back a few more years before that. At this point, it is I want to say twelve years ago. Uh, one sec. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 12 years ago. I'm judging this off a of desert bus because that is the key factor here. Uh, so back then I was moderating with a, some friends of mine from the red versus blue forums had a bunch of IRC chats. So I got into their IRC channel, like would help moderate their IRC channels. And, you know, it was weird kind of like just generalized stuff back in the day, like the proto Twitch chats, I guess you can call them the different mm-hmm. channels and stuff. For those of you kids out there who don't know about IRC channels, that's those of you who do who are old enough to know about IRC channels. I you don't need an explanation. Go look it up. It was fun through the IRC channels and stuff like that. And my use of Merc, which was the program that I they used to access the IRC channels, when Loading Ready Run, who did sketch comedy, was starting to do their very first desert bus for the first day or two of the charity event. There was nobody moderating their chat. Now, granted, this was way way back. 12 years ago, and they were on Ustream.tv. Ustream chat was actually basically an IRC channel, reskinned and packaged as just a Twitch channel next to it. I mean, heck, Twitch chat itself is basically based off of the same kind of framework that the old IRC channels were back in the day. So with this IRC thing, my buddy Anthony Crows for internet handle, that might ring a bell to some people out there, but he messaged Graham and said, hey, Graham, I know how to moderate IRC channels. It looks like you could use a little bit of moderation. And Graham, we actually talked about this at PAX with Crows and Graham and I. He's like, username sounds familiar from the forums. Sure, here, you can moderate the channel. And he's like, yeah, I got a buddy of mine who knows how to moderate IRC channels too. Can I bring him along? And he's like, yeah, sure, go for it. And that was me. So I was the second ever Desert Bus mod. Today, I am actually their moderator team lead on that. Um, over so Desert Bus for Hope is a charity event, by the way, raises money for a child's play charity. They have to date, I think it's like four point six million dollars in the twelve years we've done the run. Yeah, it's a very impressive amount raised for charity. Yeah, and this year the run begins on November 9th on Friday. I think it's like ten AM Pacific. I could be wrong. But yeah, it's November November 9th is the start date for the run this year. And I'm going to try to be on site. At, at this point, like I help coordinate the schedules for them. I, I show up in person if I'm able to with my, my taking time off of work and other things like that. But most of the time it is taking care of the chat and that those chats can be kind of crazy. But yeah, from there, loading ready run or desert bus into loading ready run when they switched over to Twitch about six years ago. Then from there, one night grandma's doing a late night magic stream at home. I was like, hey, I'm going to ship you over to a guy who doesn't stream anymore, SG Doc. And Doc has since moved on to becoming a lawyer in New York City. So that's why he longer streams. He got a good job. But Doc recognized me from loading ready run chat and is like, oh, I recognize your name. Here, 
have a sword. And then it kind of just rolled from there where I would be another chat, be like, oh, you mod for loading raid run and dock? Yeah, sure. Here's a sword. And <laughs> with sword, by the way, is I'm going to be referencing swords a lot. If you're not familiar with Twitch chat, moderators have a little icon next to their uh, username that is a sword in a green box. We like talk like, oh, you get the mod sword. Sam mentioned ban hammer. It's what we wield, but we have the sword as mod. It's really confusing terminology from forums and for to chat. It's weird. Anywho, so it kind of spooled up to the fact, to the point where I started getting people like loading ready to run, you know, I mod for, I mean, some of, I have the, the, my list, there's actually websites you can pull to see like who channels you mod for and stuff like that. So I have 42 different channels that I have moderator ability on of them about 20, it's called about 20 or so have over 4,000 plus viewers or followers and stuff on their channel. And it kind of led to, you know, Gabby, when she started streaming, that kind of thing helped their uh, Marshall because of his, you know, familiarity with loading ready to run and then LSV. And then it led to channel fireball. And then one time magic chat was kind of doing bad. I'm like, man, sure. I could sure help out here. So magic, like people, I, friend, people I know at wizards were like, it's fine. Here you go. Have a sword. And then I'm also moderate for like SCG, uh, the professor at Flaring Community College, Card Kingdom I do moderator work for. It's so uh, Magic Mike's, just to name a few. <laughs> so it spooled from Rivers of Blue Forms to IRC to Desert Bus to Loading Red Run to SG Doc and onwards and upwards. That's so crazy. You are really the mod god, the god mod, the mod father. You really are the one who wields the ban hammer for the magic community. It's so amazing. Yeah, everyone's like, how long have you been modding? I'm like, since before Twitch was a thing. Because it was, <laughs> it was Justin.tv at the time. Yeah. It wasn't even Twitch yet. <laughs> that is so crazy. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever even talked to someone specifically who has had such a storied resume as you. I mean, when you really think about it, you've got over a decade's worth of relevant modding experience. Yeah, it's like one of those like my literal best thing on any kind of like my longest quote unquote job experience is literally just being a online live chat moderator, I guess you could say. It's kind of weird <laughs> considering that I've been in the army for 10 years. That's my day job. <laughs> no, seriously, I hit my 10-year mark this year, but I've been moderating live chats for longer. That's so funny. Okay, well, this is probably the thing that everyone wants to understand. Give us your philosophy on what makes a good mod. It's hard to put because each channel demands something different of their moderators. So depending on the channel, some, you know, will be more trolly and more jokey and more, you know, let some, you know, BS slide kind of thing. Other channels are like, we have a very family friendly atmosphere. We demand this, 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 and things X, Y, and Z will go. A, B, and C cannot fly. With the advent of stuff like Slack and Discord, that has been a massive boon to my moderator communities. So being that it allows us to communicate back and forth. You're asking about my philosophy and, and trust me, I'm very circuitous with some of these answers, but it's kind of all ties together. So having a way that I can reach out, like right now, loading, ready, run. At the time we're recording, they're recording their pre-pre-release. I have had my Slack open for our moderator Slack and we've been chatting back and forth, you know, talking to people at loading, ready, run, be like, hey, this kind of like we can talk to them in the room and stuff like that. But we can also, it's like, hey, we had this thing come up in chat. What do you want? How do you want to handle it? So we, 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 we can enact what we think they want from us. But then when it comes to the really hard calls, we, you know, we work for them. But what makes a good moderator 
is somebody who's very objective, who is able to realize that they are actually getting emotionally involved in what's going on at that point in time and realizing they need to step away or let somebody else handle it. Because making rash decisions with that kind of thing will only lead to heartache and strife. I mentioned the loading the desert bus stuff back in the day. We used to use IRC chats for that. The evolution of me as a moderator started at back in those first couple of days with IRC, you could set your, yourself to auto rejoin a chat. There was no timeouts really. There was just, you get kicked from the channel. So we would do like kicking people as like a joke. There was a bunch of buddies we knew we could kick and they auto rejoin, it'd be fine. So we just like automatically joke and kick them. Over the time when we switched to Twitch, you can't really do that. And we kind of had to grow up and going from those like really proto days of just like, we can just screw around and do whatever to, oh, hey, we're actually raising hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. We need to actually kind of like get our stuff together and get in line. Really kind of helped me form to, okay, I need to be malleable and know what channel needs this. Like loading for desert bus, I have to say bus. We can't use any kind of swears. It's always bus this, bus that, or that was busing crazy. Whereas on other channels, you could use F-bombs and you know shit and other things like that. It's just a really a case of all those kind of understanding. But the key component is when I'm looking at, I know we've brought on a couple new moderators to Loading Ready Run recently in the last year or two. And what we looked for was we needed more diversity in our staff. Uh, we only had one or two women as a moderator. So when we were looking through the community, we would look for people who were very active, who were friendly, communicative, helpful. Mainly, we look for people to get... Um, so we brought on a couple of those women. And then another person, I used them as an example. Their username's TXC2 in our chat. Before they were a moderator, they were like, anytime I would come in, another moderator would just be like, oh, hey, what's going on? I'd be like, it's them. Or in, in new people in the chat, like, I'm new here. They'd be like very helpful, really friendly, really welcoming and stuff like that. So when it came time, like, yo, I talked in the Slack, I'm like, yo, guys, let's just make TXC... Why isn't TXC2 a mod? Or let's make them a mod. And everyone's just like, why aren't they a mod yet? Kind of thing. They were doing everything we wanted them to do in terms of, you know, kind of helping police chat and all that kind of thing. So it's really about understanding the vibe of the chat, making sure everyone is like having a good time. There's a good vibe, making sure that the audience is also like connecting with the entertainment that's going on. And you really talked a lot about kind of like using a judgment call because, I mean, you were giving a, a given a different set of tools and you couldn't just like ban people and time people out because you would get them angry. And if you get them angry, then they're just going to like act out more. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's definitely something we've encountered too, especially on Magic is... So one thing that people don't really seem to understand too well is the difference between a timeout and a ban. Because <laughs> okay. we'll give somebody maybe a five-minute timeout for, you know, just spamming something in chat. And then they'll hop into our DMs on Twitter on Twitch and be like, bah, why did you ban me? I wasn't doing anything. Like, And actually, because of that, you might get a little bit longer of a timeout now. Or we'll, if... We'll just be like, hey, you need to calm down. This is what you're doing. We just timed you out for five minutes. If you don't do this again, we'll just remove it. And some people have gotten banned from the chat like three, four years ago. And they're like, hey, I can't type in chat. So they come in the DMs. And one thing we'll do is we just have to make a judgment call. So we're like, well, if we get an unban request, a lot of my moderator Discord or Slacks, we have a specific channel that says unban request. Like it's a, it's a common occurrence across every single one of them, whether or not it has nothing to do with me bringing it across channels either. It's literally just the fact that we have so many unbanned requests. We need to figure this out. What happens is, is we'll basically pop in there and be like, at channel, hey, this person is asking for unbanned requests. We got any things? There's a couple of log, weblog sites that scrape like Twitch as a whole. So you can kind of like go there and reference it. So we'll go, it's called Overrussell. So we'll go to Overrussell, type in their username with the channel. 
and then reference their last like whatever history if it's in there and be like, oh, okay, they were just being a bit of a pain in the butt and a nuisance. Let's just, you know, okay, cool. Get out of here. You guys are fine. Um, other times where it might be a little bit more hinky with their unbanned request, that's when we'll go in and be like, hey, really a judgment call on this one. I need more, another set of eyes. And then we'll be like, okay, we're going to unban them, but give them a warning. Be like, hey, we're watching you for the next couple of times you're chatting and all other kind of thing like that. And it's easy actually to keep an eye on some people who are in that because one of the things that I have kind of proliferated out amongst the moderator communities that I've been in is the use of a web program called Chatty. It's a third party program that essentially replicates Twitch chat, but it has a whole lot more customizable features in terms of moderator capabilities. Like I can set custom timeout lengths on there. I have, let's see here. I have five seconds, two minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 360 minutes, and 140, 1440 minutes and a straight ban and an unban kind of thing. So I have them all set to like hotkeys. So if I can just be like, okay, that's like you said, like judgment call in the moment, I can be like, all right, that's a 10 minute ban and know that I have to hit three. So I click on the username, hit three, and they're instantly 10 minute timed out. So I've gotten used to that kind of muscle memory in terms of where I need to hit in terms of buttons for all that kind of thing. It is, like you said, a judgment call. Really, you need to know what the channel needs at the time. Uh, sometimes you, you literally can't handle the sheer number of things that are coming at you. Chat just gets out of hand at a point and then you kind of wait till they calm down. Like, all right, chat, you, you need you need to stop now. And most good chats will. Okay, so just to kind of recap just everything that we've talked about right now for just like the listening audience, you've got this wild internet behavior of like, hey, we're all on this open chat. Anyone can type anything, anyone can say anything. And obviously it's bad for the streamer and it's bad for other audiences if you are in a sense just heckling. That's just kind of what it is. It's just like internet chat heckling. You don't want to say things that are inappropriate. You don't want to bring up stuff, stir up stuff. And, you know, mods are so important because they keep like everything together so the wheels don't fall off this thing <laughs> and, oh, yeah. uh, and it takes a huge amount of judgment call it's live so you have to have you know not get heated not jump into the discussion you have to balance all of this stuff stay uh with what the broadcast is doing stay with what the other audiences are doing and also field dms that are coming your way from people that you just banhammered or timed out or whatever and you also and you have to do all of this live and you have to do all of this quickly and if you don't then you're gonna get a whole bunch of people on twitter or on chat being like where are the mods at this is horrible <laughs> yeah and another thing another thing too with that i didn't even mention is one thing that is actually a really good deterrent is just being active in chat so all the while i'm fielding these dms making judgment calls but at the same time i'm just joking around with the chat as well so they see that green sword they yes, see the it, mod is right there exactly it's it's incredible how there have been times where i haven't been in i've, I've been monitoring but haven't actually been participating in and the minute you start chiming in and participating in chat as a moderator with that sword, it, it changes. <laughs> it's pretty fun. <laughs> it's pretty funny to see the the flip of like, oh, the parents are watching kind of thing. That is very funny. Yeah, it's like sheriffs, sheriffs in town. Don't don't screw around too much. <laughs> it's like you got, you kind of kind of look over your shoulder a little bit. It's like we can't really joke around too much, but we can still joke around a little. But yeah, no. And and again, with certain communities, and you get frequent viewers so you can recognize who's there and you know who might be a problem and a lot of times if your channel's been around long enough and they stream enough you as a moderator help create 
that community. You have a very active role in creation of that community. And you've been entrusted by their streamer to, hey, we we trust you. Like trust is massive with this. So And I know that we always want to talk about what's not going well with certain communities, but really that's kind of not what it is. It's a double-edged sword. There's a flip side to things not going well. And it's also things do go well. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of work and also moderation that does get done, obviously. Otherwise, these uh, streams wouldn't be what they are. But, you know, since you were on the front lines and you were looking at how the community is growing and how the community communicates with creators and how creators produce that kind of content and moderate those kinds of environments, what do you feel like is the trend for magic streaming? So for sheer numbers wise, I don't like some people like, oh, magic's like so far down on the channel numbers compared to like League of Legends or Hearthstone or Fortnite. And I'm like, I don't care about the viewer numbers. Straight up, don't care. All I care about is making sure the only thing I worry about is whether or not chat's fine. That said, I have noticed an absolute insane uptick in the sheer amount of people that are just trying to get into the streaming game. People who before might have been like, oh, well, I might, I don't know if I want to do it or not. And they're getting into it. They're doing it. They're getting out there. And I will say this, Magic Arena has been a massive boon to this, mainly in the their creator backing that they're doing now with their creator program that's incentivizing people to stream. When you join that, you know, what's it called? So they're doing a massive pre-release event where they have like certain, there's 300 plus streamers on the 27th of September that are going to be participating in this massive event for 24 hours sponsored by wizards. They all get access to the open beta that has guilds of Ravnica available. And they're just going to be jamming it like 350 streamers. That's insane. That's amazing that they're able to actually finally get this kind of like coordination through. And it's the evolution, like it's really been a huge evolution in terms of streaming. Uh, As far as chats go, it's an ongoing battle. It literally is. I will say this. It will, it'll be a fight that will, that will never win. But the only way we'll ever lose the fight is if we just stop caring straight up. It's just people wanting to just be snarky and heckle on chat. And it's, it's, it's just people who are bored or people just are being mean spirited or. You got to reference the old um, Penny Arcade comment comic about the anonymity on the Internet. You give a normal, rational person anonymity and they become frothing at the mouth. Now, that's not for everybody. I mean, I will admit back in the day I was a bit of an Internet shit poster, but weren't we all? But the thing is, you need to know where to draw the line. And that's the main issue is like, yes, I have done my fair share of joking. And there are some stuff that, you know, back in the day, I'd look back like, man, I would ban myself for doing that. But I had to get here from there. But I do feel we have, you know, I've voiced opinions to the people who I have the ear of. Hopefully things are moving in a direction where we'll for sure see like actual improvements in forward movement on Issues that I've been bringing to attentions for a while. There's a lot of things in this that I can't even really discuss. Uh, but I actually did have a really nice chat with people from Twitch itself while I was at PAX West uh, to help, you know, give suggestions like on moderation in general again. So I, I got talked with somebody who they mostly worked with stream teams and I mostly work with just larger channels like Magic, SCG, Loading Ready Run and the such. So two different things like that and seeing where they are from stream teams versus me. It feels like a community was good as long as the people want it to be not toxic and it will only move forward if we insist upon that. So yeah, I, I do feel bad when I see people ragging on, hey, we're the mods for this. But to be fair, that's really kind of the only way we can move forward and say like, hey, look, people are seeing this. 
do you feel like this is a symptom of there are too many creators and not enough of the community or not enough of mods wanting to pitch in and support? I mean, because obviously there's a lag, right? Like the creators come first, they see the opportunity, they jump in, they start being the people on this stage and on the streams. And then all of these other support roles, kind of these ancillary roles kind of have to fill in. And I just don't feel like that second wave has really filled in. And, and there's a huge audience, obviously, because they're all the ones either trolling or saying, oh, no, we need we need moderation. We need help. We need support. Where is everybody? Right. And it's like, well, you could you could pick up a sword. <laughs> yeah. So for, for people who are starting to get into streaming, I will say this. One of the first things that, that nobody ever talks about that you need is you need a group of people as your moderators that you can trust flat out. Everything that I've seen about, hey, how do you get in streaming? Nobody ever touches mo the moderation piece. Nobody ever. Like I would love, like I even mentioned this, like I said, I mentioned, I talked with the people from Twitch. I'm like, hey, I will gladly like come around and be like, so you're new to moderating a Twitch chat kind of thing like that and write primers and stuff. I don't even care. I would love to do that kind of thing if I was approached for it. It's a case of, you know, certain people are going to commit to streaming with a, I don't care about how my chat is. There are certain channels that they're popular. And I just don't go around because I'm just like, I just don't like the chat environment. Plain and simple. So it's not really a case of people not wanting to do it. Like you're saying that second wave, it's more of a, there's so many streamers out there that it's next to impossible to get everybody on the same page in terms of what it needs to be as far as you can't get every single magic channel moderated the same way. There's just way too many of them. Yeah, I agree with you. I also feel like it's kind of one of those things about how are you policing the internet? There are different social networks that operate in different ways. Like, for example, when you look at Facebook, right, you are only seeing what who you are friends with, and also the pages that you follow. And the pages and the brands that you follow are highly curated because they themselves are specific media outlet brands. And then you are just friends with whoever your friends and whoever you connect with. And of course, you're going to have a friend who's like a super troll, and sometimes you argue with them, and sometimes you unfriend them or block them or whatever. But the majority of your friends post the things that you like and want to see. So in that sense, Facebook as a social media platform is kind of like curated. But then you go into something else and you go into like, I don't know, you go into like Twitter and at Twitter, it's just like anyone can tweet anybody. I mean, of course, you can like mute and block people, but just kind of like the stuff that you see on Twitter and every single day, every waking moment of Twitter, people are saying how trash Twitter is. Oh, yeah. Then, I, I actually <laughs> saw like, I saw three different tweets about it today of like, Oh, yeah, we talk about this trash. Like, what was this Twitter, Grandpa's? Like, oh, this is a website we just talked trash about how bad it was constantly. Oh, so did you, were you on it? No, man, I was on that constantly. Like I saw like two variants of that, like in the last couple of days, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> and it's crazy because, and then also the thing that's going on right now is that there's such a resurgence in gaming entertainment, right? We've moved beyond YouTube gaming. We've gone into live stream, Twitch stream gaming. And of course, a core component of that Twitch stream is the chat. And then now you, you're like in the chat, it's like taking like the whole forum shit posting thing and the whole Reddit shit posting thing, which, you know, again, Reddit is like a whole nother animal, right? Like you take that kind of an internet culture and then you put it into like this very interesting live thing where, you know, now people can get heckled and then people can like their feelings can get hurt. And of course people can see some really rude and horrible, dumb things. Where are these mechanisms where socially we as human beings really kind of police each other and socialize each other? Where do we like hit each other over the head with a newspaper like you do with a, with a bad dog, right? And like, what, where hand. do people learn? Yeah, where do people learn and kind of think about So that, that kind of thing you're mentioning with that, it's I've always likened 
forum posting to being like a garden hose. You know, you have like the little spray attachment on there and your water and your plants and everything like that. You know, you have a re- relatively controlled way of getting things out there because you can't like, you're kind of rate limited when you're posting on forums. Twitch chat is like a fire hose that's being shot directly into your face. It's very hard to control that particular stream of, I mean, you, you could be in a chat that has maybe 20 people watching. That's a nice chilled stream. Odds are you're not going to have any many problems with that. But the larger your channel gets, the larger it becomes again. So it's, yeah, it's a case of, I don't know, just... It's also that mob mentality of a group of people wanting to get together and then it, it kind of like changes how the dynamic of the group is. That's also like a really interesting kind of like group dynamics and social psychology thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Obviously, we're not going to solve the mysteries of Twitch chat as well as the his, the, the mysteries of human psychology society and the internet, <laughs> like all on one podcast. But just like, I, you know what, to be really honest with you, even here, Ian, like I even find that you and I even have a difficult time talking about it. Like it's really challenging to pin down what it is We've all been denizens of the internet. Obviously, if you're listening to a podcast, you understand how the internet works. We're all citizens and denizens of the internet. It's like, it's even very challenging for us who've been on the internet for more than a you know, decade or two. We still have a hard time understanding kind of how these things are. And it's like getting swept up in the ocean. You know, you live in the ocean, you kind of don't know how the current works. Yeah. And actually, it kind of brings in a nice point. I like to kind of mention to people like, how do you handle moderating? And be like, let me tell you what, I have had to dip my toes into the dark corner corners and crappy areas of the internet that I would never even step foot into if it wasn't for the fact that I moderate certain Twitch channels. I have to stay like three steps ahead of the current wave of, is that an insult? Is that kind of racist? Is that sexist? I don't know what the kids are saying these days, but I need to know what's going on just in case. It's it's a whole other aspect too. You have to stay up on your game constantly. I haven't even thought of that. You're kind of like an ER doctor who needs to know what uh, new injury or disease is coming up so that when you see it, you get to take care of it right away instead of letting it get out of hand. They'd be like, hey, Dix, why have you banned? Why did you time that out? I'm like, it's a new thing. Just if you see that, time it out. They're like, why? And I'm like, if you really want to go look it up on Urban Dictionary, go for it. But I'm telling you right now, probably don't want to. Like, why do you look it up? Because somebody's got to look it up. Somebody's got to know. It's <laughs> it's it's one of those like I'm inflicting it on myself, but at the same time, it's like I know for a fact these people have entrusted me with it. So I kind of have to be aware of all of this lovely fun. And, and it's fun, by the way, in heavy air quotes, the fun aspects of it. I mean, it is, it can be fun. It can be really fun. You know, you obviously you're elevated a little bit in your community visibility wise because of the sword, but at the same time, you have to be constantly on edge. And I will admit there have absolutely been times where I have overburdened myself with moderating chats, work, life stressors, plus moderating chats is not a great combination. And I have absolutely had bouts of being burnt out on moderating. And I'm like, I literally just cannot handle even watching a Twitch chat for a little while. Oh no. Yeah. It's happened. It's happened a lot. There are times where I needed to take a step, like step away, you know, just be like, I know where my limit is. And I don't push myself past that because it is a passion of mine to help moderate these communities. It is something I like helping enact the vision of the people who've entrusted me with the responsibility of running and helping shape their communities. It's 
kind of I know pride is a very bad thing at certain and certain you know, certain things with pride being a you know pride goes before the fall and all those other kind of lovely things you say about pride, but it is a very prideful thing to know that I can look at stuff like Desert Bus and be like, through loading ready run, trusting me with that chat and everything I've learned over the years, we have gotten it from where it was twelve years ago to where it is today and is a great community. And I know that I personally had a hand in helping get it there. It's kind of great. It's a very wonderful feeling to know that you've uh, really committed yourself to the art and science of a very thankless job, but also a very important job, right? You're behind the scenes, you're working on these, like an ER physician or like a, or like a first responder, or you're the one like making sure that the power doesn't go out in the middle of the night or, you know, it's like these really critical utilitarian style roles, these support roles that are not as visible as the person on stream or the troll that's getting banned or whatever or person getting banned or whatever but it's still such an important role and it keeps things humming like when things go well we don't hear about it but then when things don't go well you just you wish you had it and uh i and you know we've been talking a lot about internet jargon and twitch jargon a lot and you know just just for the listening audience you know i didn't know this for a while but you know we talk about desert bus a lot uh, desert bus is this meme game where it's literally you driving a bus through the desert from la to Vegas? Uh, it's from Tucson to Vegas. Excuse me, Tucson to Vegas. Excuse me. It's basically like six hours. It's you steering a bus on an open highway. It's about straight. eight hours. So, so it's about an eight hour and 10 minute loop for the points <laughs> in the game. <laughs> It's hilarious. It's just ridiculous. It's like watching paint dry. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. And Loading Ready Run does this charity where they play that game, which is, they're not really playing the game. I mean, they are. They're operating the game, and so it's functional. But they basically do goofy things, and uh, you donate money, and uh, the amount of money goes up by a compounding percentage. And every single time you hit that per amount of donation, they stream it for another hour. And that's how they raise a bunch of money. Yeah, the compounding that is 1.07. So the first hour is a dollar is a dollar the second hour is a dollar and seven cents and then it constantly ramps up from there yeah and they do goofy things to keep you entertained and it's like 24 7 it's it's not so much even just 24 hours it's like a week long it's like 11 days straight uh, six we've we, six <laughs> I, I can actually pull up here real quick exactly how long it takes yeah they have a chart and they do all these goofy things and i can definitely see how chat can get a little stir crazy and it could be like 3 a.m on a tuesday night and someone wants to say something super horrible <laughs> and you know you like you just need to step in at those times it's you have to stay very vigilant <laughs> it's like being a cybersecurity expert to make sure you're not getting like attacked at random times well yeah what's funny is like you're mentioning all these kind of like behind the scenes kind of guys it's really funny how my moderating career has also semi-informed my work career, which has also semi-informed just everything else that I do in life. I, I work on computer systems and other kinds of technological stuff in the army. And it's one of those cases where as long as I've done my job, nothing ever breaks. No one ever complains. But the minute something goes wrong, everyone's like, where is he? Where are these guys? <laughs> but yeah, you mentioned 11 days. For us to get to 11 days with the way it compounds, we would have ha we'd have to raise 11 11.2 million dollars just to get yeah, to 11 days more. of driving like we've we've hit a point where we're raising about under 700,000 or so a year uh the highest we ever reached was year 10 which was 695,242 dollars and 57 cents in one sitting which took us to uh it was just about uh seven days 
Compounding interest is, is real, boys mm-hmm. and girls. It's yeah. real. Because <laughs> at that point, it becomes $50,000 per hour at that point. And then like three hours, li- like three or four hours later, it's 60000 Then it's 100000 five hours after that. And it's it's it gets out of hand, but it's kind of fun. So Desert Bus is definitely a, a really fun event. Go check it out. We, we played the worst game ever created. So you don't have to. <laughs> well, funny enough thing. So it was actually created in response to violent video games. The history of it is Penn and Teller back in ninety in the early nineties when Mortal Kombat, the whole reason why we have the you know the E for everyone, the ESRB is Mortal Kombat and those violent video games caused all sorts of kerfuffle in Congress. So they created all those things for it. And Penn and Teller went to a video game company like, we want to make just like the weirdest off the wall, mind numbing regular stuff that you can do. And driving a bus is so mind numbing, mind numbingly regular. Let's make a video game out of it. And that's how Desert Bus came to be. It never actually finally fully got created, but you know, Sega CD, which was before uh, DRM. So you could literally just take, you can go find the file online, rip it to a CD, put it in a Sega CD player and play the game. People have also imported it to the internet now too. But yeah, so Penn and Teller just wanting a, a boring regular game, you know, just to be like the antithesis of all the violence and bad out there. They're like, hey, let's just make this really weird off the wall game. That's so funny. Yeah. And that's kind of another thing too, like almost moderating. It's like you need to find a way to completely flip the bad if you can. Okay, so moderating is quite a big job, but you know, and you talked earlier, Ian, about getting other people kind of on the same page and creating a team. And you also said that you would be really excited to create some kind of open resource or primer, either through Twitch or, you know, really just through the internet. But like, what ideas or methods are you thinking about, you know, either in a collaboration or through yourself about getting other mods on the same page to kind of these standards that you've put into place? Well, it's not even really stuff that I put into place already. It stuff already exists out there. Like I was meant, I've mentioned Slack and Discord being a, an amazing resource for us in the moderator community uh, that I, the moderator community circles that I frequent because there are, there are crossover and overlap between moderators and certain groups. I know with Loading Ready Run, there are a bunch of, we call them Lurid, like Lurid Jason was how it started out, but it, they're just like friends of the stream kind of thing like that. A lot of them are also Loading Ready Run people who stream on their own and they have their own chats. And a lot of them have been getting partner recently, which is great. I love it. Cameron Lauder just got partner recently and Serge Yeager just got partner recently. And each one of them have their own unique individual chats. But if we see an issue with across these things, because a lot of the people migrate across these various things, you see with magic chats too, you might see same the same people in a bunch of different chats. We have kind of our own watch forum where we all have our own unique roles like hey you're a moderator on this channel you're a moderator main moderator on this channel and we'll be like hey we've seen this person in this channel doing these kind of things just keep an eye out so we have kind of a watchdog but it's not that's actually not a great thing to call a watchdog but we have a a way to communicate with each other across different channels we have those open lines of communication they they do exist and even across magic channels like i mentioned i moderate for wizards of the coast and star city games there's not a lot of overlap in those moderator groups. I am the overlap in those things. So if I see something on the Watsi channel, I can tell the SCG guys about it. And the SCG guys see it, I can tell the Watsi mods about it. So it's really kind of finding people to bridge those gaps between the different communities. And Discord and Slack is an amazing, amazing tool. So if you have a bunch of friends who stream or are looking to stream or you have a stream team, I highly recommend having some sort of if you're on a stream team or something of that sort, like having a place where all of your moderators across your community can come and talk amongst yourselves. I love it. I love it. Okay, we're going to have more from Ian Dixon coming up in just a little bit. But first, a word from our sponsors. 
Hey, Ian, you've got a special Patreon supporters gift for us. Could you tell us what it is? So, yeah. So, the card is Pulse of Marasa. It is the two-in-a-green instant common from Oath of the Gatewatch. It is return target creature or land card from a graveyard to its owner's hand. You gain six life. I picked this card because it is the engine that drew me to my pauper deck of choice back when basically this card first hit the format in Oath of the Gatewatch era. It's Marasa Tron. It is not the Tron that plays Karn. It is a very long and sloggy control deck based around big mana control. Kind of like how the blue, uh, mono blue Tron used to be with just counter spells. I mean, we have Condescend, the X in a blue, you know, counter target spell and opponent hits X. You can just tap that and make X7 if you wanted to. It's it's kind of crazy. It basically likes playing Mold Drifter. You evoke it, get to the graveyard. You can pull some Ross, your Mold Drifter back, and then you play Mnemonic Wall, and then you get Pulse of Marasa back with the Mnemonic Wall, and then you play Ghostly Flicker targeting your Mnemonic Wall, and you have two of them out, and you can start really just looping things and getting out of hand, and then you just finish them off with a giant Rolling Thunder. But Pulse Marasa is kind of one of the linchpins that set that particular style of Tron deck rolling forward. It's usually uh, rug or teamer colored with splashing into maybe five colors using Prophetic Prism as its massive way of fixing, plus the ETB gain lands from cons really helps it too. So that's <laughs> so Pulse Marasa. It's it's a fun sorcery and it's also made its way into infect cyborgs too. I see you, Mike. <laughs> wow, you just you just love fun, huh? <laughs> I look some weird like I, it's a some of those weird formats are just like I just want to have weird loopy fun and being able to like once you start cooking off with ghostly flicker targeting two mnemonic walls and you start actually gaining incremental value out of it and you're you know it's it's so much fun. Pulse Marasa is such a sick card. I even had it in my Jun sideboard for a little while because it just it was like so so good. And the best part is it doesn't just target your stuff. Granted, you can be like, oh, I gotta give him a land back, but yeah, return that land to your hand or return that creature to your hand. Oops, countered it on the way down. Got him. Like that's the worst <laughs> is when you've like I've done that before where I've done like mnemonic wall loops to they know that I have counter spells in hand and I'm like pulse marasa, target your thing back to hand, pass the turn. It's like you're gonna cast it, counter spell. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> It's evil and great and I love it. <laughs> it's it's one it's one interesting and fun way to play magic. Okay, well I'm gonna have a whole bunch of copies of Pulsa Marasa that Ian, the super mod, is gonna be signing and we'll have them for our Patreon supporters. So thanks so much for that, Ian. Of course. Ian has signed copies of Pulse of Marasa from Patreon supporters. It's a great card for Popper, and yes, I even put it in my modern Jun sideboard once. You can get one by supporting the show at patreon.com slash kitchentablemagic. Supplies are limited, and I'm only giving them out to current supporters and new ones that sign up during October and November. A big thanks to all of my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future, who always gets recognized by the streamer in chat. Again, that's patreon.com slash kitchentablemagic. Thanks for your support. Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Card Kingdom. In my experiences ordering things online, I always hope everything goes well. Like, will I get my package quickly? Will my order be correct? With so many business interactions being digitized and becoming less personal, we care more about receiving great customer service. And you're probably wondering, how do I find an online store that embodies all the qualities that we're looking for these days? 
I decided to read what people were saying online about Card Kingdom. Lost Jedi 2003 says, Card Kingdom, hey, I just got my orders. Love, love the speed and efficiency from you guys. Thank you very much. Twitter user Gold Convoy got a robot soldier token hand-drawn and included in their order. Huge thank you to Card Kingdom for the custom token. I asked for a mechanical robot soldier token and it's beyond what I could have imagined. Kitoshi got a fully colored rainbow chameleon token drawn. Brock Bro says, Thank you, Card Kingdom. Ordered Friday, received Monday. Fast shipping is no lie. Love the pull tab tape job on the case. 39 cards. Rich Baranek says, At Commandcast, you were right. Card Kingdom ships fast. Wasn't expecting to have this for another week or two. Also, no one mentioned the awesome care they take in packaging the cards. Even professional football player Cassius Marsh gets his hard-to-find foils from Card Kingdom. It seems the people have spoken. From fast shipping logistics to great customer service, card selection, and also the care their fulfillment takes when packaging each order, Card Kingdom goes above and beyond. I even purchase all of my Patreon supporters' gifts from Card Kingdom. So if you're looking to purchase Magic the Gathering singles and sealed products online, Card Kingdom has been trusted by Magic players around the world. You can also show support for Kitchen Table Magic when you use our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com KTM. Again, that's cardkingdom.com KTM. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Paragon City Games. I've been talking about Paragon City Games for some time now, and recently I've been invited to film three vlogs at their game store for their Heroes League Invitational series. It's a local tournament where the winners compete at a year-end Invitational. The player community there is wonderful, competitive, and fun. They have friendly staff that greet every single person that walks through the door. The store itself is huge, open, clean, bright, airy. There's beverages, snacks, clean restrooms, a fully loaded feature match area, and a high-tech streaming setup. The entire store is filled with huge open tables, enough to fit over 100 players. I played at an FNM there once, and there were four different formats going at the same time. They also have a huge selection of board games, magic singles, supplies, tokens, handcrafted wooden deck boxes, and artisanal diehard metal dice. If you want to see the vlogs I made for Paragon City Games, just go to facebook.com slash paragoncitygames and click on videos. I made three vlogs, one for each of their standard, modern, and legacy events. Paragon City Games has a commitment to legacy, and they're streaming legacy daily at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. If you're ever in Draper, Utah, go check them out. And if you love legacy, watch their Twitch stream, again, at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. They're a wonderful group of people, and I'm so grateful to have them as friends. Okay, and we are back. Ian, I have some rapid-fire questions for you. Are you ready? Lay it on me. Okay, here we go. Rapid-fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what's your favorite color and why? So, years ago, I just said it was probably green. But these days, I find most of the decks I play are centered around blue. Why? I don't know. I like card draw and saying nope. That's why of the color shirts, I have the nope shirt. <laughs> it was also the cool. <laughs> it's the best one of the five anyway. No, blue is... It enables a lot of strategies. It, it is in itself a controlling thing, but it can also support so many other various strategies. Like, as I said, I play Marasatron. My deck of choice in modern is, was, you know, Grixis Shadow or Infect. My deck of choice in Legacy is Infect. My deck of choice in Canadian Highlander is Jeskai Con Control or Jeskai Midrange. The common thread among all of that is blue. <laughs> it just <laughs> enables 
things that I want to do in magic. And if you would pair blue with another color, which other color would you pair it with? Red. Okay, red. So is it? Yeah, even though everyone's like, oh, he's Boros. I'm like, eh. I'm is it with a side of Boros. Occasionally touching on the black mana, but, and sometimes green. But no, it's, it's like five color, but like mostly is it. Ian, rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? This is a really complicated answer, and I know for, like, well, okay, so it's not a complicated answer. It's a very simple answer, but the way to get there is incredibly complicated, and there's no right answer to it. It's, I wish the barrier to entry for any format didn't rely on cards that might cost anywhere from even six to seven dollars. You know, like if there was a way, like it's one thing Arena is great about is that you have to use your either crack packs or get the wild cards to build your decks. It is kind of rough if you want to build a certain thing, you have to kind of, you know, grind your way to it. Like I said, even that economy is not perfect. Even a regular economy of, you know, I want to get into legacy, but I got to go buy all these dual lands if I want to play a deck that, you know, is actually competitive and I have to pay out the nose for it. I would love to be able to just play without worrying about cost. However, I understand that it is a business. I understand that there is counterfeits are bad kids. Let's put it there. Counterfeits are bad, but it's just, I don't know. To sum it up, I just wish there was a way to, you could remove costs from it to actually play competitively. I know you can proxy up your own printout black and white, a slip of paper, slip it in a sleeve. You can play that way. My group of Canadian Highlander friends back when I lived in Seattle area would do that kind of thing. Like we'll have decks that, you know, I'm not going to go spend $80 on this one card that I need for a deck, but I'm only going to play it in one particular format in my group of friends and it's not competitive. Okay. I'll just slip a piece of paper, like have a basic land or Sharpie a basic land up kind of thing. It's not a competitive thing. That's how we've gotten around it. And that kind of magic, which lets you play whatever you want without having to worry about like, I'm going to go empty my bank account for this. It's fun because you can tweak a couple cards here. It's like, oh, I need to get this card. I want to try out this one or this really niche card combo. Let me see if it fits into my deck you can try it without you know breaking the bank like i said a simple thing is it's a simple answer with a very complicated background to it yeah i don't know enough about the game design business and industry to know what is the right balance between make money on stuff and free to play or i don't know i mean i don't yeah it's not my purview either and i'm never gonna let i will let other people worry about that i just know that the best the most fun that I've had playing Magic is in that Canadian Highlander group. We we meet up every weekend and we just play with decks and we didn't care if it was, you know, a proxy card or you had a foil cryptic command in your deck or whatever it is. Like it didn't matter as long as we were playing and having fun. I would just want to make sure that you could have fun without worrying about cost. Ian, rapid fire question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? Oh boy. <laughs> I should have seen this coming. If I could give something to every Magic player, it would probably have to be an understanding of other people. It's kind of weird, but an abstract. But everybody is everybody you're ever going to sit across from the table when you play Magic is different. Everything they've done in their life is different from everything you've experienced. There's no way that they will ever have lived the exact same life you have. But you're here for that game. You're here to play the game, quoting NFL coaches now. Having that innate awareness of hey, everything I've experienced is not the same thing they've experienced. You can try to put yourself in their shoes, but you can't try to use your own experiences as, no, no, this is how it is. Some people, a lot of people in the world, not just Magic players, don't have a great understanding of that. And I just wish that I would love to give that to everybody so that way everybody can enjoy the game. Ian, rapid fire question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? Digital, but also cards, physical cards. Uh, they've done a great job with Magic Arena, but there's some people like, oh, it's going to go straight strictly to digital. It's like, no, you you can't kill 
I don't think that they can kill the cards, the physical cards. In the future, though, I do see, I think that at some point they're going to have to reach a point where they can't do things in cards that they can do online. For instance, I know with, use an example of the coming upcoming Guilds of Ravnica, we have a day zero errata on a card because it didn't have until end of turn on it or printed on it. It went to printer without that errata. So in Hearthstone and other digital products like Eternal and other kind of card games like that, they can literally just be like, hit a couple buttons and it's fixed across everyone. They don't have to worry about, like they can do power balancing of cards after it's already been quote unquote digitally printed. You can't do that with Magic, even with Arena. And at some point they have to realize, they have to basically come out. I think Wizards will have to say, hey, there is a digital divide. We have to figure out what our strategy around the digital divide is. And I would like them to, you know, tell the player base so the player base doesn't keep guessing. Hmm, interesting. I've, I've had my own tinfoil hat theories about it, but maybe that will be for another podcast. It's just something I see as a moderator because I, you know, I'm watching people play digital magic, but also paper magic and seeing the, the cool animations we get with arena versus the just strict, hey, it's just a, it's just a, a, a almost simulacrum of the paper magic with magic online and then actual paper magic. The three things are same, but wholly different at the same time. And there's going to come a day where they're going to have to be like, all right, how are we going to handle all of these differences? And last, Ian, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience, like where they can find you on social media? Yes, you guys, I mentioned Twitch and stuff like that. You guys can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash dicks. That's D-I-X. I have started streaming again because life is actually settling down after a lot of couple moves and change in units. Uh, like I said, I'm in the army. So that's been a major influence on me not being able to stream. My last unit was we did a lot of activities and other sort of missions and stuff that wore me out. Again, that mental thing. So twitch.tv slash dicks. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at dixonij. That's D-I-X-O-N-I-J. I tweet about Philly sports. I tweet about magic. I tweet about nerdy stuff. I tweet about stuff in general. So if you guys want to give a listen or follow there, cool. I also do a Magic the Gathering podcast of my own with my buddy John. It's called Eyes on the Mize. And we just got our first preview card for our first ever set. And we got this live stream, the reveal the other day. And that was really fun. Again, it's called Eyes on the Mize, M-I-S-E. Uh, we re- release episodes. We try to do it weekly. Again, work gets in the way, but it's every Wednesday on all your favorite, be it Apple or Google or RSS feed. We release with that. And that's mostly where you can find me on the internets. If you guys just want to give a follow on any of those things, feel free to. I don't have a stream schedule yet, but I'll get there. And I will have all of the links to Ian's Twitter, as well as Twitch, as well as the podcast, Eyes on the Mize, in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. I want to take this moment to thank you, Ian, because, you know, when, you know, I've known you through uh, Magic social media for quite a while now, and we have fun, we chat, and it's, you know, it's all fun, And but being able to be at Card Kingdom during a popper tournament and like meet you, be able to hang out with you in person. I, I think that was what was really awesome because like getting to meet people through the magic community, everyone in the magic community is very kind and very generous. And through this love of this really strange and quirky game, right? We've grown and <laughs> formed all these wonderful friendships. So I just really wanted to thank you for being such a wonderful friend, not just to me, but also to so many other people in the magic community, your generosity and your wonderful spirit, giving your expertise. It's a lot of hard work to do all the modding that you do. And I think almost exhaustively in this episode, you know, modding is like a very quiet, thankless job. Like people don't really see how it works. And when it works well, no one talks about it. And when it doesn't work well, then it's like, ah, where's that Ian guy? But uh, panic mode. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, yeah, Sam, thanks for having me on. And yeah, like you mentioned meeting up and stuff, carking for the tournaments and stuff. It was great. Like I love, I'm at the point where like for a while I wanted to be, you know, oh, I want to win tournament. I want to go, you know, day two. And at this point I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go to a GP Vegas just to literally just hang out with friends for the weekend. Like I didn't play in any of the tournaments when I went this past summer. I just went to hang out with friends that I've met through social media and it's great. Yeah, it really is wonderful to be able to just spend time with people that you like and, uh, you know. I say it before and I'll say it again. Like, you're really awesome, Ian. The, the the community is a better off place because you're in it and you're there helping us mod and helping us keep things. And I really hope that people listen to this episode and they get encouraged and they also get inspired that if they really enjoy Twitch stream and they really enjoy gaming and watching other people and growing community, that they should consider becoming a mod themselves because we have wonderful people like yourself and lots of other wonderful moderators that are eager to share and eager to build and make communities more fun. So thank you so much for everything that you do, Ian. Oh, you're welcome. And yeah, like you just mentioned with that, if you are out there and you want to get streaming and you have questions about moderating and any of that stuff like that, please reach out to me. I am more than happy to brain dump so many years of knowledge on you. Be ready. Much thanks to Ian for joining the show to share his knowledge and experience with us. There are many streamers looking for moderators, so if you love hanging out on streams and you care about growing communities, please consider becoming a moderator. Ian is always available to share his knowledge. You can reach out to him anytime on Twitter at DixonIJ. Ian is also the co-host of a podcast called Eyes on the Mize. I'll have all of the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. You can follow Kitchen Table Magic on Twitter at KTM Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and I'm on Twitter at Samo Tango. Kitchen Table Magic is now on Spotify in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and MTGCast.com. Please don't spam links to Kitchen Table Magic in the stream chat. So if you'd like to support the show, head on over to Patreon.com slash Kitchen Table Magic. It's that time in our show to thank our Patreon supporters, Brian, Marcus, James L., Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Neil, Aaron C., Corey, Chad, Logan S., Nick, Eternal Dirtles, Matthias, Geraint, Squyfall, Matt, Ian, Carl, David, Matthew, Chris, and Jonathan. We're getting towards the end of Kitchen Table Magic Season 4, and every episode I make heading towards the finale, I am reminded of the kindness and generosity of all of my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future. You're all wonderful. Thank you so much. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. And they look like they were having a good time. I said, what are you guys playing? And these are all my friends. I wanted to draft. And like, we're playing Texas Hold'em. And I was like, well, that's interesting. I'm from Texas and I've never heard of this. And they're like, well, we can teach you, but it's a $5 entry fee and you sit down and we'll teach you. So I said, sure, here's my five bucks. They gave me some chips. I said, so how does it work? And they gave me the rules and I said, okay, this is cool. Many hours later, something like 12 to 13 hours later, there are two people left with all of the chips. There's myself, the newcomer, and there's Matt Place, who at the time is a Pro Tour champion. And he had played poker before, he knew what he was doing, and he was facing me, newcomer, who had no idea how to play poker. I was tired, I was exhausted, and I think we were playing for like a few hundred bucks now from the whole prize pool of everybody that had played. And I said, hey man, how about we just split this this money up and go to bed or go draft or do anything, you know? I'm, I've played enough poker that I'm tired of this. And Matt, being the, the wise, also value-seeking person that he was at the time, says, no, why would I split with you when I can just beat you and get all the money? 
And I'm like, well, because we save time and there's no guarantee you beat me. He's like, bro, I've played lots of poker. You don't even know what you're doing. I'm not just going to give you half the money. Like, no, I'm sorry. And I was like, well, okay, I really want to sleep. But if that's how it's got to be, that's how it's got to be. And I remember I figured out that he was playing. Now, this, I don't want to go too deep into poker strategy, but he was playing too tight in a sense. He was being too conservative. And I just started raising every hand without even looking at my cards. And I would even make sure he could, he knew that. And sure enough, a few hours later, I had all the chips and all the money and all the glory and a new hobby. I said, this is fantastic. I love poker. You just heard from professional poker player, magic player, and master chef finalist David Williams about the first time he played Texas Hold'em. David is fiercely competitive and smart enough to dismantle any game he gets his hands on. Much of the world knows David as a World Series of Poker bracelet holder, but not many people know that he found poker through, you guessed it, Magic the Gathering. I'm so excited to talk to David Williams about magic, poker, cooking up a storm in the MasterChef finals, and being a father, all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. <laughs> 